Well, after last week's lesson, I got home, and of course I'm wanting a little feedback from my wife. And she's not reluctant to give me feedback. <laughs> she said, Jim, I don't take this wrong. If you ever hear that, don't take this wrong. It's not a good sign. Don't take this wrong, but where were you tonight? I was a little confused. I just had trouble following you. Well, I said, Karen, this is a complicated subject. I mean, you understand it's the first time for me to teach this material. It's it's a topical study. There's all these verses. We're trying to connect thoughts. It's it's it, not only that. There's all these verses and all these thoughts. Some of which go down different paths, and so that can be confusing. And and by the way, weren't you really tired tonight? I mean, you had a long day too. I mean, is it possible that that you just weren't totally with it? <laughs> Well, that's not the best way to answer your wife's uh, comments, her productively kind comments, and but it's pretty typical. I mean, we all blame shift. We come up with excuses. We look at things horizontally, don't we? And yet God's given me a wife with discernment, and I've learned after 27-plus years to listen to her. It's not always easy. So after that gentle exhortation, I'm going to start by seeing if I can bring some things together a little bit. Try to see if we're building our path properly. So thank you, Karen. We've been trying to address a couple big questions. First question is, what are the pressing issues behind the calls we make, the books we read for help, and the programs we attend to get help? Okay, those are, that's one question. What, what, what are the needs? So, the second question, anybody know? Who do we call? Yeah. Who do we call and why? Oh, hey, somebody's paying attention. This is great. We have so far done three of our five building blocks. And the first one had to do with life in Christ, right? Second one had to do with light and sight. And the third one had to do with pain, how we interpret it in Christ. Now, what, what I've tried to do, not as well as I want to, but I'm working at, and you're helping me, is when we started with this, if you can look at this as, as a path we're building, and these are big stones, all right? So there's some medium-sized stones and smaller stones, that, that set that up. Each of these are meant to be biblical verses or truths. They're, they're scripturally founded. And that's hard to do, as you know, in a topical study. You want to stay anchored to scripture, and you don't want these thoughts to not be anchored in the word of God. And so we've been trying to talk about these. And each of these have these stones. And that's going to be the case here and here when we get to the fourth and fifth steps, or beliefs, foundation beliefs. Now, pain is where we are now. Maybe this whole diagram is creating some pain for you. So, it's creating pain for me right now, because I have to go. Okay. So, who do we call and why? The life, when we talked about suke and zoe and, and what it means to live under the sun, S-U-N, or to live in the sun, S-O-N, that dealt more with the why, the needs, the questions that, so that dealt more with this. Light and sight deals more with the who. So that's, that's what we're talking about with this. Now, if I were to ask you, what's the difference between suke and general revelation? What's suke mean? It's life what? Life under the sun. So, life under the sun. What would general revelation be? In a similar... Light under the sun? Yeah, good. Light under the sun. So, suke, I mean, that's not perfect, again. But suke is is breathing in and out. It's living 
in a moral way, it's how we live. It's, it's how we uh, act. It's this life here on earth. It's temporal. It's finite. General revelation is the study of all that stuff. It's the study of breathing, the study of the body, study of science. It's, it's the study of things about the sun itself. Okay? So it's, it's different from special revelation because it's available to everybody to study. Okay? So that's, remember we have different types of revelation. There's the general revelation and then special revelation. Special revelation is light in the sun, isn't it? Because that's, it, it, that's the spiritual sight that we get in Christ. Now this is going to all make more sense as we unfold it, particularly as we've been looking, because when we come down here, who do we call and why? Well, what we've said, we've said that the class is primarily about why in the world is counseling the default for everything. Why? And it's not just counseling. It could be um, that we're only going to call the pastor. We're only going to call a certain person. But the primary problem that we're addressing, the primary question we're addressing is why, and that was in the, as you remember, in the opening statement for the class. 70, 80 years ago, there was no such thing as professional counseling. Certainly no such thing as Christian counseling. So now it's speed dial. Everybody goes to see a counselor, and it's normative. And this class is trying to ask, well, why is that? Why is, why is this the call instead of one another? And so we're trying to build a framework to understand this. And that's where we are. We're, we've introduced a little bit of the counseling stuff. We'll go a little further tonight. We'll go a little further when we come back the week that we come back after the break for eight weeks because we need to really get an understanding. In fact, it'll be woven into the, we're going to see it even more woven into the next two steps. Is that helpful, everybody? Is that, Karen, is that helpful? <laughs> okay, good. Any other questions that you have, dear? No, I appreciate that. And, of course, maybe you have a nice fancy visual. We have also just, as we've tried to take some of these thoughts here, you know, group together a little bit or try to look at them with different views. We've had a couple different slides that sort of look at these issues around problem, remedy, solution. And we're going to do a little bit of that tonight on the whiteboard, too. We're going to sort of see how that unfolds. But we've also looked at it last week um, through judgment, affections, purpose, and walk. How it is that when we're living our life in a suke in an under-the-sun way, the judgment is is terrifying. It's judgment, you know, death is terrifying. We're, we're pulled that way. But if we're living our life in that resurrection life, if our eyes are ultimately on where it should be, we're, judgment is, is, we're not under judgment. We're, we're not under the wrath of God. So, it's, it's a difference when we're walking more in a suke under the sun way. We're walking more in the flesh. We're walking by, by the desires of this world, those horizontal desires that tug us and drag us down. But when we're walking by Zoe, we're walking, we're starting, we're looking vertically. We're, we're seeing things vertically. So it's always this tug between vertical and horizontal. And we talked last week about we had this slide up here about the fact that um, we don't always groan the right way, do we? We groan over, I mean, if you hit your thumb with a hammer, you're going to groan. Legitimately so. In fact, my, remember my dad hitting his thumb with a hammer when he and my brother were building stuff in our garage, or rebuilt in Kansas City, and and my brother kind of chuckled at him a little bit, and my dad got mad, and and then about five minutes later, my dad hit the same thumb with a hammer and just yelled and probably said something that he shouldn't have said, and my brother was laughing so hard, he's crying. My dad, I could still remember, because I was a little kid, 
I can still remember my dad chasing my brother up the stairs, out the door, holding the hammer in his hand. You know, and that dad wasn't going to hurt him, but he was just so mad. I mean, it's real pain and, and a real reaction to pain. Well, that was groaning, and that's understandable. But the question is here, I mean, from Romans 8, you know, verses 23 through 25, and not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Over getting hit by the thumb? No. Waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. There is a groaning that should be more the type of groaning that we have. A groaning over our sin, our separation from being able to be with the Lord in a, in a more uh, permanent way. And that hope is, is what spurs us on. Well, God often uses that horizontal challenges it goes on to point us to vertical so tonight what we're going to do with your help is we're going to look at four different passages last week we we talked about two personal examples of painful situations and and how the horizontal issues really turned both of these people vertically in wonderful ways. Um, started with Jordan, where we talked the question that he asked, what makes you competent to talk to our class about counseling? And that led to a relationship where all these issues, uh, we were able to together go before the Lord, and, and Jordan has been a wonderful encouragement to me and many others. And then, then Heidi's question, is it okay for me to not pray to be healed? And if you notice in the slide, we changed that. Tom had a great input on that. Uh, the way it said before, is it okay for me to pray not to be healed? And that, I mean, she wasn't praying not to be healed, and that was that was not the way I meant to put, the, certainly not the intent behind her heart. But again, it showed that certainly she desired to be healed, and it's just that that's what everybody thought was the most important thing. The horizontal healing physically was what, Everybody thought she needed. And she's saying, well, if he heals me, that's great. But look what he's doing for me not healed. Look how close the Lord is to me. Look how how I'm able to serve him. I mean, is it okay for me to not pray to be healed in light of the fact that that if he decides to keep me this way, it's like Paul's prayer. I mean, he prayed to be healed. But when it became apparent that God wasn't going to heal him, he accepted it and served the Lord in his unhealed way to the best that he could. And I'm not sure that he stopped praying at all for that. Who knows? But we know where his focus was. Well, let's look at these four situations, four biblical examples. um, And let's look at them the following way. Well, let's talk about Esau, Jacob and Esau first. What was the perceived problem for Jacob? What was his problem? We could open our text to what Genesis uh, 32 is where the, the latter part of his problem occurred, his distress. Well, let's, so let's open to Genesis 32 initially. But before Genesis 32, what was his first problem? He didn't have the firstborn blessing. Yeah, he wanted the birthright. Okay. Well, that's that, actually, just put that as his affection, okay? His affection was he wanted the birthright. What was his problem? Esau, right? His brother. His brother was the problem, as he perceived it. So what did he do? He connived, he cheated, he... Manipulated his way. Go to uh, Genesis 32. Now this is when Jacob's fear of Esau. Okay, so what's his 
his pain here. What's his pain? Fear. Big fear because of what? Yeah. Well, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. It doesn't say he was necessarily uh, depressed. But that would probably be as close as a biblical thing he was. So he's got fear. He's got 400 men coming after him. So this is a problem. So what does he do? Same thing that uh, he was doing before. He manipulates. He's going to manipulate Esau. He's going to send everybody ahead. He's going to, you know, send all of us to try to buy him off. Right? So what happens when he does that? What happens over in the middle of the night? What does he learn? He wrestles with the Lord. And what does he find out? What's his problem always been? Has it been Esau? No. His problem hasn't been Esau. It hasn't been a horizontal problem at all. His problem has been with the Lord. The Lord had to break him. This was this was what Dr. Walkie called in a wonderful sermon, um, severe mercy. It was it was a defining point in Jacob's life that that he had to come to grips with it's not what's going on down here that's your problem, Jacob, and you keep manipulating, you keep doing all these things to resolve your issues horizontally. And the problem isn't there. It's vertical. Any other Jim, can I say something? Sure. So in other words, but it's all the ensuing manipulation. Yeah, the desire for the birthright wasn't wrong. And if he had walked by faith, then it would have worked out, we can assume. How about Martha and Mary? Jesus comes to visit. It's verses twenty eight through thirty two of Luke uh, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So we see what's the problem for Martha? Mary's lack of cooperation. Yeah. Mary not helping. And it appears that Jesus doesn't really even care about that. You know, Jesus doesn't seem to even care. So her pain is she's feeling what? What's it say here? Distracted. She's anxious. Her affection is what? What's driving her? Okay. Yes. <laughs> good, Robert. That's always a good answer in this class, by the way. Just say that. It's, you know, just it, you're nine out of ten times it's right. If I and I, I know last week I asked some you know broad question. I tried to get people engaged, and I didn't do a very good job of that. Karen reminded me of that too, but that was okay. She was right. But if you'd have just said suke, you'd have been fine. And and I don't want to make too much over those kinds of words, but anyway. So she was she 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 had her affections on on she wanted help. She's doing all the work herself. She she doesn't seem appreciated. Doesn't seem valued. She's working and they're not. I mean, there's lots of things that her affections were down here. And what does the Lord do? He gently says, only one thing necessary. Mary's chosen the good part. She's listening to me. She's come. I'm here. Quit. I'll give you a good example just in my own life. I mean, this is a little bit not necessarily meant to be humbling. I know you all are the same way. This morning, I got up. I had a lot of work to do. I didn't quite have this class put together yet, as Karen knows, because I was even late to a dinner that I had that 
There's some people here because I was still finishing a couple things. And I, I was just anxious about it. I wanted to get working right away on it because that's how we are, right? I, I, I've got it. I've got to get the work done. And I just, that's just wrong. So made a good cup of coffee, Bob, you know, and went into my reading chair. And I grabbed the word and I started to read in Luke chapter 2, which just happens to be where I am. I could not get through, I, I got only through Luke 2. And it was a wonderful time with the Lord sitting at his feet for me. In fact, there was, started to think about horizontal issues with Zacharias. Um, and, I mean, there's just, stuff came out, good examples. They weren't as painful, maybe, the illustrations here, but, but you could see it even with him. So I, it was a wonderful time, and sort of, I just needed that. We all get distracted. We all are like, we're all like Martha. Anything else? Does that all sort of make sense? Yeah. Just in the same way, I think if you had another category of rows of what we think the pain is that needs to be fixed. Yeah, something like this, Steve. Like, like I'm going to pick to fix it here. Right. Okay. Where, where the Lord really wants you to, to look at this and, and to look at it here. Yeah. So you tell her what to do, and He's saying basically, Mary's sitting at my feet listening to me. So. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, and, and we're, but we're all tugged this way. We're always tugged this way, all the time, all the time. Now, how that relates to who we call and why we call who we call, it, it relates very directly to that. We've, we've introduced the counseling world, and we'll make even more sense of that. Okay, next one. We'll just do, uh, maybe just do one more just for tonight because of time. Martha and Lazarus. That's a pretty big problem, isn't it? What's Martha's problem? Yeah, Lazarus has died. Or actually, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus well, yeah, yeah, Lazarus is sick initially. That's right. Isn't the problem that Jesus didn't relieve her pain? Yes. He could have come. Yep. Yeah, and and Jesus didn't come. Yes. Yeah. She was. She was. She was. That's exactly right, Bernie. She was. She. She didn't. She didn't believe that the Lord knew what He was doing with Lazarus, and so her affection was certainly for. Lazarus's health, right? You know, concern for health, her pain. What was her pain? Grief, anxiety, because it was anxiety before he died, and then it turned into grief, right? Disappointment. Disappointment. Yes. Lazarus, her protection. Yes, probably that too. As a brother, probably protecting her, her and. Um, so, so some fear there of what's going to happen to her. I mean, there, all that. So, so how does, so how does she respond to all of this? What'd she do? Yeah, yeah, she did. Sort of chewed him out, didn't she? Yeah. Was that, did she respond in a good SR, did she respond in a good SR way? No, no. She responded, Lord, if you'd only been here, then then he wouldn't have died. What were you doing? What's Don't you care? You? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? So, so yes. Now, that's a good question. Anybody know? Now, that's an interesting insight. Interesting. That the Lord may not like her as much as she likes. he likes Mary. Well... But you see how, again, horizontal. This is the problem. I mean, we know that Lazarus was... Yes, Bucky. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I'm impressed. Perhaps. I mean, I, 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 think, I think she believed early on, certainly, why didn't you come? You could have healed him. She certainly knew he was capable of healing him. But, but I really think she thinks, she thought that he let him die. Because she, remember, he had to interact with... With her and say no, she, he, he's sleeping, and every, you know, he didn't really. Oh, come on, he's dead. So I think, you know, what what's interesting about all of this is Lazarus 
horizontal. I mean, he died, right? But so, and he was raised from the dead. Well, that's great. But you know what? He had to die again. I mean, he, I can imagine that dinner party that happened afterwards, and they're sitting around there. I know Bob's going to say something. I'm just going to say, buy one, get one free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Buy one, get one free. But you can imagine they had a meal together. The scripture records that they met for a meal. Lazarus is there. They're talking about it. I can imagine. So how was it, Lazarus, you know, dying? I don't remember much about it. Or he might have said, it was wonderful. Why am I here? Why did you do that, Lord? So, I don't know. Those are all conjectures. But but, but we've talked about the paralytic. We, there's lots of illustrations in Scripture over and over and over. Horizontal issues, yes. And, when, and, that's, and that's great, Steve, because the Lord's doing that all the time through the Scriptures. Horizontal issues. Nicodemus. I mean, you really think I can... A person can be born again into a woman, enter a woman's womb and be born again. And the Lord directs Nicodemus to, to a spiritual truth. Unless one is born from above. And so we see that all the time. Horizontal issues, we react to them that way. And he responds with, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, that's how he responded to Thomas, wasn't it? Tom, you, you can't leave us, Lord. Where are you going to go? Where, where are you going? All horizontal. He's thinking about where's he going? What path is he going to walk down? And it's, and it's not a path, it's a person. You know, it's not, you can follow me down this, no, I am the way. Always pointing vertically. Now, we all know these things, okay? We, we know them true. You're in a good churches that teach this. It's just that, that we default so much when it comes to the painful issues, we default to fixing the pain. We default to GR kind of under the sun issues. And we don't even think twice, most of us, if there's something bigger going on, if there's something vertically more compelling and important going on. And there always is, because that's what we learned last week, that pain and suffering has benefit. All the time for us. Now, how many of you ever watched Extreme Makeover Home Edition? Some of you have? Well, you know, there's always this gap between what we, what we want, what we think we need, and what our experience here under the sun is, is giving to us, isn't there? There, there's this, whatever that gap is, it, it could be this great need for a better job, more job security, better health, a spouse, grandchildren. It could be for a nicer home. But so we live with these expectations of of what it would be like if we got what we wanted. And when we don't, then then we're discouraged. And that's typical because usually what we really want doesn't line up with what our experiences. Unless you're a recipient of Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Because here, they take a family that's usually a very needy family. They build a house that's perfect for them. And when you watch that show, you're riveted. Because you can't wait to the end when Ty Pennington says, move that bus. And you're just there like these people are waiting. And then the family up there is going crazy. Is it beautiful? And, and you're crying and you're looking for your Kleenex box. And if, if you're a man, you carry a handkerchief, man. Okay. That's on film. It's just for my kids who don't want, they think handkerchiefs are weird. So it's, you know, I mean, you know. I don't think it's that. I think they're nice. That's for you, Karen. Yeah, thank you. And by the way, my wife irons my handkerchiefs. I just thought you should know that. I know, I know. And she cleans them, which is the worst part of it, of course. So, well, let me ask you. What would happen if 
when move that bus and the bus moved and the family's waiting and and there's a you know its foundation is there and it's maybe a third framed and the workers are sitting over there having lunch and they're going wait a minute this isn't what we expected i mean there's a pretty big gap here between what we were hoping for and what's been delivered for us I think that's more real to what we live in every day today. I think that gap is um, is real, and and I think for all of us that what's going on horizontally and trying to connect with that vertical hope, that gap, you know, what we want to try to understand, at least in terms of one anothering, is that is that somebody's there with us in that gap, right? Our Lord. He's designed the gap for us. And what we talked about last week, He's not only designed it, that pain that might exist even in the midst of it, He's designed it for our good. He's designed it to draw us closer to Him. And even more than that, He said that that pain and suffering and those trials are, that we are to exult in them. We're to count them all joy. And how do we do that? Because our expectations, our hope isn't for the new house on earth, move the bus. Our hope is for something else. A heavenly home, right? John Bunyan got it right in Pilgrim's Progress. I know I could, I'm sorry, it's a couple, a couple lines. See, I have enough time to go through the whole play. So, but let me give you Three of my lines. I'll try to do them really well. Practice. See if I can remember them. But one of the lines was when evangelist, that's me, thank you, when evangelist is talking to Christian and, and Christian has just, he started down the path to the wicket gate, but he's gone off the road. And so he comes back. He's talked to worldly wise men. He's brought him back to the path. He says, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure with him. And he proceeds to encourage him. And then there is this moment of of, of an understanding that Christian has of, of his sin. It's like Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, where he sees his sin. Can my sins be forgiven? And evangelist says, your sin is very great. But then what he says, but he says, yet the man at the house will receive you. Isn't that sweet? The man at that house will receive you. You're looking for a horizontal house. John Bunyan said, no, there's a house. That's our hope. That's, and so then later on, he says to Christian and faithful, right before faithful enters into Vanity Fair and faithful is martyred. And he's trying to encourage faithful. And he tells both of them, he said, let the kingdom be always before you. That's what we're talking about. That's vertical. Let the kingdom be always before you. And then believe steadfastly, which was mentioned, lack of faith. Believe steadfastly concerning things that are invisible. It's spiritual sight that we need, not physical sight. We need that to exist and live in a world, but there are many people who are physically blind who have wonderful spiritual sight. Fanny Crosby had wonderful spiritual sight and wrote over 8,000 hymns. (laughs) Unbelievable. What have we been talking about? Exulting in all of our tribulations. Because the tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So verse we talked about last week, the hope of the glory. Matthew 16. Think about this. We mentioned it earlier. Do you believe, Steve mentioned it when he's 
when Jesus was talking to uh, Martha. Do you believe who I am? Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barhona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. You see, the the issue of special revelation, the issue of, of looking vertically, the issue of understanding who we are in Christ and, and, and making sense of trials and tribulations, all that comes from revelation, doesn't it? Special revelation. Now, flesh and blood, what is that relating to? It's okay, right? Under the sun. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Did, did his good education, is that where he got, did he figure it out? Was he certified? Was he well credentialed with his seminary degree? Was he licensed? Was he ordained? No. He was the recipient of revelation from God. Now that aspect, I mean, that's where I had put Mary and Simeon because I was reading Luke 2. Again, you see Simeon three times in three verses in Luke 2, 25, 26, and 27. And the Holy Spirit was on him. And the Holy Spirit led him into the temple. And the Holy Spirit, you know, directed... I mean, it wasn't Simeon's credentials and academics that the Holy Spirit blessed him by revealing to him that this was the Messiah. What a, what a blessing. Didn't reveal it to everybody. The angels, we were, Karen and I were talking about in, in Luke 2, the angels, um, they come down and they speak and they tell the shepherds. And what, what do the shepherds go? They, they go and, and tell everybody what the angel revealed to them? No, what the Lord revealed to them. It's the Lord that reveals things to us. He uses means, he uses the angels, but it was ultimately the Lord. He uses means with us, but ultimately it's the Lord. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This verse is going to deserve a whole lot more than what we can give it tonight. It's, it's a verse I wanted to have in the material. Um, we've seen it before, a couple weeks ago. But I just wanted to tie knowledge. Okay, Knowledge, not to data and facts. Not to under the sun Suke, general revelation. This is knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That doesn't come except from God giving you that knowledge. And this is, this is what it's about. That's why knowing Him is what it's about. That the primary goal of God in our lives is not to meet our needs. It's to transform us to be more like Christ from glory to glory. Now that's hard for us to accept because we want what we want. And we have to be transformed in our thinking about that. And the reason that we have to be, the reason we have to understand where knowledge comes from is I would suggest that most everybody, when they make a call to the counseling world, is looking for a kind of knowledge, aren't they? Why else would you call a counselor if you don't think they have the knowledge to fix and address what your issue is? Why would you pay that money? Or even if you didn't have to pay money. Some people do it for free. Why would you go to them? Because they have the goods. They have the training. They have the credentials. They have sat, they've sat in the right classes. They've been equipped. Now, I've had 
I won't go there. Steve told me don't go there. I won't, Steve. <laughs> so, yes, Steve. On your point on knowledge, I think if you said they said, did not our hearts burn with that? Yes. Yeah, that, that's what well, we were talking about that earlier, the how how when Zacharias talked and his mouth was opened and he started to talk all about praising the Lord, that it said many who, who all who heard it wondered at what he said. But Mary treasured the words and pondered them. A, a totally different a it it, it was it penetrated her heart. Well, the counseling world is full of knowledge. It's full of training. It's big business. American Christian Association of Christian Counselors have over 50,000 members. That was a couple years ago. Every major evangelical seminary has a counseling program. Counseling-related radio programs, they abound. You go to the top ten Books at Christian bookstores are going to be self-help, somewhat counseling-related books. Christian terminology, they're going to look good on the outside. We've already talked about some of these before. But I want to give you, as we start moving into this this real core issue around, you know, who do we call and why, and we start examining the counseling world more in light of the foundational three beliefs that we've already laid up. You know, I'll share, I just have this, I'm not going to go through this slide, but it just shows you how old I am, first of all. Um, I wasn't born in 1970, but I was young then, you know, but, uh, well, anyway. But the point is, we've already touched on a couple of these items. We're going to get into the first lesson coming back next week. We're going to get much more into Jay Adams' world, but, you know, I... I have walked through for most of my Christian life in this counseling world. I've been through classes. I've read tons of books and bought, as Karen can attest to, tons of books. Many of them are have been returned or given away because they don't, they're not very biblical. <laughs> but in in the midst of this, you know, we're going to bring in some of these things. They'll make more sense to you, uh, even over the next uh, week or so. Okay, that same slide, the prosperity gospel. So, what, what we've said is that this counseling world, um, or this, ther- this, this therapeutic world is a problem. And we've talked about why it's a problem, because it distorts the gospel. And, and it's a self-esteem gospel. It distorts, it distorts some of the terminology around anthropology, about who we are. So where does that come from? Um, when Bob had asked me to speak at this conference, I used this title, The Detoxification of Christian Psychology from Your Local Body. And people said, well, are you saying there's something wrong with Christian psychology, Jim? Well, yeah, I guess I am. Um, so I had to explain that. So what did I mean? Well, this is therapeutic gospel that we talked about three weeks ago or so, that it comes primarily from Christian psychology. So you're saying, well, what's wrong with that? So let's define our terms. Secular psychology, basic autonomy, man-centered, all answers found within. Christian psychology, all truth is God's truth. They call themselves integrationists. Well, what do they mean by that? Bear with me, I'll explain it. Biblical psychology, well, there is, if psychology is the study of men by men, then then their scripture probably has something to say about who we are, right? So there is a biblical view of who we are. So there can be a biblical psychology, and that would be somebody who believes in the sufficiency of the word. Who's a Christian psychologist today? that we are well-known Christian psychologists? James Dobson. Dobson. Yeah, probably the the spokesperson for a Christian psychologist. Integrationism, what it primarily means is the integration of Christian truth plus secular psychology's truth. 
Well, that doesn't seem to be the sufficiency of the word, does it? But surely that's not common in seminaries, is it? I mean, you know, these guys, these guys hold to the gospel. Um, or these guys don't hold to the gospel. This guy, the biblical counseling guys, hold to the gospel. So how do they call themselves in the counseling world? Well, the counseling worlds call themselves by the same terminologies as the psychologist. If you're a secular psychologist, you would be a secular counselor. If you're a Christian psycholo- uh, counselor, you, they call themselves Christian counselors. All truth is God's truth. That's what they believe. I'll explain that in a minute with the next slide. Biblical counseling, they claim to believe in the sufficiency of the word. And I, and I think they do to a degree. And that's one of the reasons we're having this class. So here's some common people in each of these categories. You'll know next week, is, or actually eight weeks from now, you'll know a little bit more about these groups because I can explain to you, for example, well, over here, secular counseling, Dr. Phil, Myers-Briggs, DSM, Cognitive Behavior Therapy, you've heard these terms. Christian Counseling Association, American Association of Christian Counseling, the Dallas Theological Seminary Counseling Department. Wait a minute. Focus on the family. New Life Ministries, you hear that on the radio. Celebrate Recovery is a not a counseling... Uh, they're not counselors, but it's a counseling program. Because we've talked not just about our dependence on counselors, but also our dependence on on, on well-packaged counseling-related programs. Biblical counseling would be represented by these guys, the Association of Biblical Counselors. Now, the NAC is the National Association of Neuthetic Counselors, who has renamed themselves earlier this year. You won't believe it, Bob. I don't know if you knew this. No, stank, no. No, that's bad. They, they've renamed themselves as the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. ACBC. Lest anybody doubt, they're different than ABC. They're just the Association of Biblical Counselors. We're the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Do you know that nearly everybody in the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors are Reformed Believers. One of them is a very good friend of mine. Now there's Southwestern uh, Seminary, by the way, got rid of all their integrationist professors. Um, Paige Patterson went to a biblical mode. Christian Counseling Education Foundation, you'll learn more about them. So, is this a problem in seminaries? Give me about two minutes, we'll be done. Well, let's read Denver Seminary's counseling program right from their website. The counseling division at Denver Seminary encompasses courses from a range of programs. Courses described below are part of programs in counseling licensure, school counseling certification, counseling ministries, pastoral counseling, and chaplaincy. The common threads are the focus on developing practical skills for helping people, understanding the nature of human growth and change, and personal reflection and growth in professional identity. The courses emphasize that God is the ultimate source of all truth and that he reveals his divine purpose in Scripture. Students are taught to understand scriptural truths through sound exegesis and to seek, my emphasis, additional truth through scientific investigation, thoughtful observation, and scholarly research. Additional truth. I had this slide when I spoke up at this conference that Bob invited me to in 2012, and it was right outside Denver. And this really tall man, about 6'5", came up afterwards, and he said, Jim, uh, I went to Denver Seminary. He said, "I, uh, I want you to know that that problem at Denver Seminary that you mentioned, you hit it right on. It was a problem when I was at seminary there, and it's still a problem there 
today, but nobody talks about it. I stopped sweating, I felt better. And comments like that were validation that this thing needs to get out there. DTS, straight from their website. What makes DTFs different? I mean, how direct can you be? Integration. They're proud of it. How does Dallas Theological Seminary's Master of Arts in Biblical Counseling program honor the sufficiency of Scripture? Dallas Seminary believes in an integrated model of counseling which integrates theology, spiritual formation, and psychology. DTS does not subscribe to the nathetic viewpoint. And on and on and on. And, and the only thing they talk about with the Scriptures is... And this is from their doctrinal statement, is that we also believe that all scriptures were designed for our practical instruction. They, they don't even come out and talk about, you know, they don't even mention sufficiency, authority, inspiration, even in their doctrinal statement. So, how are we to understand all of this? How do we make sense over the fact that these guys here, these biblical counseling guys, sorry Hampton, I know I'm over here, that these hold to the gospel. They do. The same gospel we believe. But they're still in the counseling world. And, and so, why are they different from the Christian counselors? Why do they believe more in sufficiency than the other guys do? Where do they get their truth? What do they mean when Christian counselors say that all truth is God's truth, which is what is taught at DTS. Well, isn't that true? The answer is yes. All truth is God's truth. But how do they define that? That's the difference. Because they define it differently than you think they would. And the way they define it is better. But there's still problems in the counseling world. There's problems particularly as it relates to our first diagram up here, as it relates to to who we call, because they're in the counseling world. Am I saying that we should never call one of those guys? Well, in today's church world, I think we can praise God there's some biblical counselors around, because nobody in the church tends to want to do it. But that's just not enough. Ladies and gentlemen, it's just not enough to just give up and say, well, that's, praise God that there's some good biblical counselors that understand the gospel that can give us the word of God. And for $120 an hour, they'll do it. There's, there's just something wrong with that. And we need to explore that further, which we will in about eight weeks. Now, what can you do for me in the next eight weeks and for yourself? Well, think about those building blocks and those stones medium stone, think about the beliefs we have so far and, and how you would connect the dots to them, how you would make sense for them. You can go back through your notes, look at the slides. That would be a good exercise for you. You already know some of those points. But come up with your own. Help me think through what verses and examples. You'll think of others.